Welcome to the One Program Podcast. My name is Kristen Edmiston, author of The One Book and creator of The One Program. This podcast creates a space for diving deep into topics surrounding all things business, leadership, and creativity. Hear from inspiring entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and innovative thinkers as we explore the power of one and overcome the overwhelm together. Well, hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of The One Program Podcast. This is Kristen Edmiston, and I am your host of the One Program Podcast. And I'm really excited for today's episode. It is another interview. And before we dive into that conversation, I wanted to do a proper introduction of my guest because there are so many layers to her and her experience that there's only so much that we can really cover in one episode, in one conversation. So I'm going to preface this all with the encouragement to check out our show notes so you can find her website and her social media contact details, as well as a link to her book. You don't want to miss out on this one. It is a fantastic read. And not only are there learnings in there for each and every one of us, but there's also an opportunity that she's given us to do some proper reflection. So be sure to check out all her details in the show notes. But I'm going to get things started by telling you a bit about her. So today I'm talking with Brenda Harrington. She's an author and an executive coach. And she's also the founder of Adaptive Leadership Solutions, LLC. Now she's worked with people globally in plenty of different sectors. I mean, she's covered all the bases from the public sector to private, government, intergovernmental, even humanitarian and not-for-profit organizations. And Brenda has spent more than 30 years in private industry in positions ranging from first level management all the way up to senior executive leadership. Now, she's taken those experiences and turned them from the corporate world over into the entrepreneurial space. And today we're going to talk about what that transition looks like and how she's approached it and also how she helps other people approach it with her coaching. But we're going to dive even deeper into why she wrote her book. It's called Access Denied, Addressing Workplace Disparities and Discrimination. And we're going to explore really the the depths of some of the stories she's included and that self-reflection component, which you know, if you've used a one book, we know how important reflection actually is. I think Brenda combines it all together to deliver us a new way of looking at things, a fresh perspective, and the consideration that we need to hold ourselves accountable for the changes that we want to see in the world. So without further ado, let's get to it. Welcome everyone to another episode of the One Program Podcast. I'm so glad you're here. Kristen here, and I have a very special guest with me today. We have Brenda Harrington, and we're going to talk about some really important conversation points around leadership, but in a, in a different light if you will. And I've thoroughly enjoyed learning from Brenda and from her book, which we'll get to in a bit. And I think anyone who listens to this today will also come away with some key takeaways. And my greatest hope is an opportunity to sit back, reflect, absorb, think, and then consider how each and every one of us could do better and even implement some changes into our leadership practices. So without further ado, welcome, Brenda. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you so much for having me, Kristen. I'm happy to be here. 
Wonderful. And I thought we would just dive right in to your backstory, right? This is what we love to share here on the podcast is understanding that each and every one of us have a journey that brings us to where we are in this moment and we can all learn from those stories. Sure. So why don't uh, why don't we just start there? Tell me a little bit about uh, your career path, where it started and what led you to where you are today. Sure, sure. You know, I I have to smile when I hear the word path because I don't know that we can call this circuitous route <laughs> a path, but more of a journey. Uh, it started with uh, exposure to or experience in, in corporate America, as we call it, right? Mobile Oil was my the first company I joined uh, out of undergraduate school, and then I left Mobile and went to AT&T. And that was kind of like a Goldilocks experiment, right? Too warm, too cold, just right. Uh, but but in at that time, you know, that was pretty much the 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 given route, if you will. You you walked across the stage and 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 right into a corporation or an organization. We didn't talk about entrepreneurship. We didn't talk about a lot of things. Uh, but I realized that that was not an environment that was for me. I realized very early that I I didn't want to spend thirty or forty years in in a, in an environment like that. It was it was. For me, it was too large. I didn't have enough direct impact on outcomes and things like that. So it just wasn't what I wanted. And so I made some changes. Uh, I, I decided to pursue something that at that time uh, I had had exposure to and was very important to me, which was working with uh, corporate relocation uh, and, and people who were, uh, you know, transitioning from, uh, you know, sometimes domestically, sometimes internationally, and, and helping them to get settled in and things like that. So long story short, uh, the focus of, of my interest professionally has always been to interact with people and have an impact on, on lifestyle, which was so important to me. And it's interesting because uh, I have made quite a few changes, which brings me to the point you know, where, I, where I am today. Uh, but the, but the, the focus, the centerpiece has always been uh, the impact uh, that I'm able to have or support with uh, having an impact on people's lives. Oh, and you know, I, I I hear this as a common thread when I speak with people who have really forged their own um, their own journey. Maybe started in corporate and transitioned over into the entrepreneurial space, and um, you know that's quite the leap, and it takes a little bit more than hey, I'll just give it a try. There's usually a burning passion deep within the hearts of the people who take that leap. And very often it's tied to making a difference in other people's lives. Um, so I applaud you for that. And, you. Um, you know, I think we we have listeners to our podcast that are either contemplating that leap from, you know, their their regular career path that they they started out on. And they're maybe considering going into business for themselves or they're tempted by this shiny entrepreneurial uh, opportunity that that might be out there. What is that transition like? Or what it was what was it like for you? Because I think that's the nitty gritty of it. You know, is it as simple as just flicking the switch and leaving corporate and starting up something no. of your own? Like, no. tell me a little more about what that looked like for you. First of all, you know, I, 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 again, smile when I have this conversation with people, because I, full disclosure, I have a much higher risk tolerance than most people. So don't try this at home. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've been very fortunate and profoundly grateful uh, for support from my family, particularly my husband that, that never said no, you know, even times when he should have, you know, hesitated, like, you know, he's always been very supportive. Uh, 
it's not easy. And I don't, I don't want to, you know, paint a, a, a rosy picture. Uh, I want to be realistic. Um, but, but really, I think that if you're committed to something and that something might not be, you know, I, I don't want to be a lawyer anymore. I want to be a baker. It could just be, I don't want to be a lawyer anymore. This is, I thought this was it, but it's not, you know, I've, I've given it a try and it's not for me. Uh, so that, that to me was enough of an impetus to say, I need to move away from this towards something else that's more suitable for me. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's what's scary for people because they, they want to, uh, for many people, you know, they, they want to have a more defined destination. And I think that when you can really hone in and we'll, we'll touch on this again, I'm sure hone in on what your values are, what's important to you, uh, your likes and dislikes, you know, you can really get closer to whatever that other thing is. Sometimes you don't know immediately. Mm -hmm. Okay. But you know enough to know that you want to move away from where you are. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we've heard people, you know, oh, you know, I, I spend all these years in school. My parents wanted me to be a doctor and, you know, my whole family is in engineering. We all get one life. It's not dress rehearsal. Okay. Mm -hmm. So we've all heard the term, the, the saying, do you, right? Mm -hmm. And you just have to really figure out what that means. Yeah. Oh, and I love that. And the, the giving yourself that grace and space to not always have it figured out in the moment. Uh, you know, I find just from, from my experience and talking to so many other people that have kind of taken this, this journey, you know, it looks like maybe from the outside looking in, you've got it all figured out and you know what the, what the destination is going to be. And the reality is no, it, you know, yeah. and I love how you said, sometimes you just know that where you are right now isn't right. And right. you you have to take a step away from that and try something new to figure out. And uh, something that you touched on that I think is so important is adhering to our values, really getting very centered around them and allowing them to lead us. And that can take time. That can take years for us to really solidify what those values are and, and what that means to translate them into our actions, behaviors, beliefs and our efforts into our career paths. So I really appreciate that. Thank you. You know, I don't know that it necessarily takes a long time to figure out what they are, perhaps in some cases, but there's so much noise, Kristen. Mm -hmm. There's so many other voices telling us, you know, what we should be and who we shouldn't be and how we should show up and what we shouldn't do and all of those things. It's, it's, it's difficult to silence all of that mm -hmm. and really you know, look within and, and really reflect and, and think about what matters to you. And I understand that's a, that's a challenge for many people for a lot of reasons. Mm -hmm. um, but it's when you take the time to do that work that, that you can really get to something meaningful and, and I will say powerful. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. And, and this is something that you help people with. Am I right? Getting that clarity and, yes. and um, you know, getting down to uh, I know what matters to me, but like, what does that translate into? And how do I shut out that noise? Right. You know, would you have any advice or pearls of wisdom around that for anyone who's really struggling with it? You know, they feel like there's this intuitive pull to go a certain direction. And yet the voices of reason, and I use that word for that term very loosely, <laughs> the voices of reason who are in our ears saying, oh no, too risky, or, you know, someone did that before and it didn't work, or that's not for you. That's for someone else. How do we navigate that? How do we, how do we get around all of those shoulds 
around us. Wow, it's so tough. You know, one good starting point is to do something that's reflective. That can be journaling, you know, that can be just engaging in in, in different conversations and exercises. And in, in the book and in my practice, I encourage people to not just have mentors, but to really seat almost a board of advisors. Because I think you need to socialize your ideas with, with people who have different points of view, who have different interests, who don't always agree with you, right? But really do as much work as you can to, to learn more about who you are and who you're not, mm. all right? Based on, your, based on your own values and priorities. And, you know, when respectfully, when there are parents involved and spouses involved and partners it can be difficult, mm-hmm. um, but but that's when you really get to something that's meaningful. Absolutely. And I, I think it, it comes down to really trusting that internal yes. voice and that intuition more. Right. And you know, I don't know, maybe some people are just born with that inherent ability that they know when to listen to themselves and when to, you know, go through and vet with with greater um, attention <laughs> with with other people. Yeah. But, you know, sometimes it's trial and error. Sometimes it's just learning. And we've all had those moments where we're like, oh, I should have listened to my gut. And why did I get talked out of it? Right. And I, and you catch up, but, you know, trial and error, people are afraid to fail mm. or make a mistake. And there's, there's no greater learning experience. Doesn't feel good at the time, but, you know, that's how we learn and that's how we develop and grow. And so it's all right to fail. It's all right to make a mistake. It's not going to be picture perfect. And, that, and that's what I mean. People expect it to be a very linear path. And, mm-hmm. you know, first, you know, we're going to do this first and then I'm going to do this. And this is going to happen. It doesn't work that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you have to really allow yourself space and a lot of grace, really. Yeah. Uh, but if it's something that you really want, it's worth the time, the effort, and just to stick with it. Yeah, absolutely. Do you find that it's maybe easier to say that and do that now, being in the entrepreneurial space versus corporate, you know, with your experience, did it, and I think I may know the answer to this already, but, you know, fitting the mold and, um, you know, having to keep up appearances to fit in, in the corporate setting, especially in a leadership role, um, you know, whereas in your entrepreneurial space, is it easier to just be more comfortable in your own shoes and just show up authentically or can you do both? Can you can you have that freedom of expression and authenticity in the corporate setting? And, you know, maybe what your experience has been in that vein. I don't think there's anything more important than being authentic, whether you're in a corporate space or you're in an entrepreneurial space. Okay. Especially in these days and times. There was there was a time many years ago when we, we thought about the, uh, the social or psychological contract between an employer and an employee, you know, one that was, you know, services in, in exchange for a lifelong employment, right? So you stay for 30 years and you get the watch and the party or, or whatever. Uh, that metaphor no longer exists. It hasn't for a long time. And in those days, it was probably more appropriate to conform to align and 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 to to really step into character as i say you know to to really uh comply with and support that that company or corporate brand but that doesn't exist anymore there's not that 
degree of loyalty. I won't say there's no loyalty, but there's not that degree of loyalty. And so I think it's really, really critical and important to hold on to who you are because you never know when things are going to change. Not, not necessarily at your hand, but because of other situations. We've all heard about it, right? And I've seen so many people over the years, you know, once the business card goes away and once the corner office goes away, they don't, they don't know who they are. Yeah. And it's very difficult for them to reset and, and start again. Absolutely. Absolutely. And um, at the end of the day, we're so much more than a career or a job title or a pension or a salary. Yeah. We're multidimensional. And, uh, you know, the beauty, I believe, my personal beliefs on this around authenticity is, I mean, number one, it's just easier. You show up as you are, who you, you are. In, in a whether it be a professional setting or a personal setting, you know, there's no switch, there's no flick. It's um, you just are who you are. But you know, that's that's easier said than done sometimes. And you know, having having read your book, Access Denied, which I think thank I've you. shown you just how marked oh, up it is, um, which I thoroughly enjoyed, by the way. So thank you for writing this. Um, so the book titles Access Denied, Addressing Workplace Disparities and Discrimination. And, you know, there were a lot of takeaways that I had from this book about how, you know, in one, in one way, it's easy to say, be authentic, show up as who you are. And yet, you know, that's maybe not always uh, accepted. And whether it be overtly or through microaggressions, um, this is a very real experience for some people where they don't feel safe to show up authentically as to who they are. And so why don't we talk a little bit about what brought you to write this book? Because the passion on these pages is very real. It's palpable. Wow. Well, well, thank you for that. That means a lot to me. What brought me to write that book were conversations that emerged following the events of the spring of 2020. It's nothing that I ever intended to do. It wasn't on any bucket list or, or anything like that. But when conversations began to emerge about privilege and, you know, different experiences, not only with law enforcement and, and, and in general in, in society, but in the workplace, I was really gobsmacked by uh, the number of people who just seemed to be unaware of what was happening. Uh, a lot of stories started to emerge of things that, about things that people were still experiencing. And it, and it was too convenient for uh, people to say, well, that's just history. That doesn't happen anymore. We went through the civil rights movement in, in the 60s and things are better. And, and you know, that that is so far from the truth. And so I first thought about people who were impacted by workplace disparities. Certainly, I've experienced some, a couple that I talk about in the book. And the fact that... Uh, we don't always feel that we have a choice, that there's an option. And I would argue that there's always an option. And so in addition to sharing the stories, I wanted to share some exercises, some reflective tools to help people really kind of throw the covers back, if you will, and, and think about the this, their circumstances more holistically and think about the, the alternatives that they might have. Mm -hmm. You touched on something very important. You said it's it's often not safe to show up as, as who you are and it's not accepted. And that's true. I think a lot of times, and not just, you know, for for any particular group, I think for women, for all of us, 
we don't set the right expectations. We're so focused on who we are and what we want to be and what we bring and what we want to accomplish that we're really not reading the room, if you will. Mm. And so I think that, you know, that's that's ground zero to, to really understand the environment you're in, what the tolerance is for different levels of diversity, types of behavior even, and also what's rewarded and and to be strategic about how you move forward in that space. And that was something that really struck me as as maybe a different tone in your writing was, you know, um, being strategic in the workplace to navigate the reality of of, you know, perhaps other people's ignorance and yeah. longstanding um, workplace culture where their, you know, policy says one thing and practice is another. Exactly. Um, but you you took that issue head on and acknowledged it and said, there's still a way through this. And yeah. um, you don't have to sac- sacrifice yourself in the process. And I thought that was very powerful um, uh, to, to all readers. And um, maybe you could talk a little bit about who the book is for, because... I love that. I think the audience is quite broad and I don't know if that's what your intention was in the beginning or how it evolved, but maybe tell me your thoughts about who this book is really for and how it can help them. Sure. I I think in terms of a primary and a secondary audience, if you notice in the introduction, you know, I'm really speaking directly to the primary audience, to people who are impacted by some of the circumstances described in the book. And I say, first of all, you're not crazy. Okay, yeah. what 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 you're experiencing uh, is is real. There's something there, and the second thing is you're not alone, because the first thought for most people who feel that they've been marginalized or they're not being considered or they're being you know they're not being included is that they've done something wrong, or you know they're not enough, or they need more education, or they need to work harder or work longer hours, and you do all those things. Uh, and you dress appropriately and you, you know, you're grooming all of those things and it's still not enough. It will never be enough. Mm-hmm. All right. And so, uh, you know, I, I wanted them to real, that audience, you know, the, the people who com- comprise that audience to really reflect and think about what their circumstances were, be able to define them, give language to what the circumstances mm-hmm. were that they were dealing with and consider their options. The secondary audience, and I, I had no you know, expectations in terms of whether they would emerge and, and thankfully they have, but it's, it's business leaders, mm-hmm. business leaders who perhaps have some blind spots. Uh, I've had people say to me, you know, I thought that I was, uh, you know, aware of what was happening in the organization and, you know, the, the challenges that women and minorities face, but I had no idea. Right. And I have to share this. I was uh, in the Atlanta area earlier this year, uh, and it was at the time that uh, there's a there's a race now, uh, a, a fundraiser for the Ahmaud Aubrey Association. Mm-hmm. And for your listeners who who may not remember, Ahmaud Aubrey is the young man who was shot and killed while jogging yes. uh, in Georgia in the spring during the spring of 2020. Actually, it was probably winter, February, March. We didn't find out till spring. And uh, they were interviewing runners, asking, you know, why they were participating. And one gentleman said, you know, when my kids go out to run and exercise, my biggest worry or concern is whether or not they'll get hurt or sprain their ankle. 
I don't ever worry about whether or not they're going to come home. And that's it, right? It's a completely different reality. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted the stories uh, to really, I hoped that they would, would create awareness for people who are in positions and empowered to really reflect and think, think about things a little bit differently mm-hmm. and influence change. Well, and I truly believe that storytelling is, is a very impactful way to, to do that and to, to really start shedding light, not just in a cognitive way, right? Because we've been saying these things for a very long time, right. and yet it still hasn't resulted in it, the changes that we need in society. And there's just something about storytelling. I don't know if it's where we relate as human beings, where knowledge is traditionally passed down. And this is across all cultures, across all time, where, you know, it seems to get more so to the heart. And I think you you very beautifully wove story into your book, layering in reflective questions for us to hold up the mirror yeah. and and go a little bit deeper. And I think the marrying of those two strategies is what makes your messaging so impactful in your book. And um, I mean, when I first picked it up, I thought this would be such a wonderful tool for me to take out when I'm working with a leadership team and and they're looking to grow and become higher performance and, and definitely be more inclusive and be more aware of the realities that minorities experience in the workplace. But I think it's it takes it to that next level. It's not just awareness. It's giving them tools on how. How do we now take this and do something differently? And and I and I love that because I think we are we are at a point where you know we've seen the news stories. We've you know there there are charity fundraisers. There's lots of awareness out there. But where are we seeing the rubber hit the road? Where are we where are we actually getting that traction? in business with our leaders where we can really move things. I think that's just such a, a a really wonderful opportunity to make change through the business setting. I talk about getting to the heart of business, but I think we can influence society through leadership in business in a big, big way. It can start there. Um, yeah. So I think you've created a tool here for for leaders as well, and that's you know where my mind went as as a consumer of of the book and reading it. I thought, no, this would make me a better leader, especially if working on a team and it's something I could do with you know my my fellow executives. I so appreciate your saying that, and uh, in the not too distant future, there will there will be a companion. To the book, uh, which is actually a a, a course, workshop based uh, format uh, that will will help to achieve that, and I really start with that by you know just focusing on the humanity. Unfortunately, as humans, we start with judgment based on mm-hmm. what we see. But if we take the time, and and I found this 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 was the experience when I was doing so much work with with expats, you know, moving to, to, to new locations in different countries and experiencing different cultures. The first thing we do is, you know, put all of the Americans together. Well, just because we're all of the same nationality doesn't mean we share the same values, doesn't mean that we have like the same things. If we can break through language and cultural barriers, you know, you, you, 
we may have different, let's say, religions, but but spirituality is as important to both of us, for example, different, you know, different circumstances, different contexts. If we just take the time, we will find out that we're more alike than we are different. Mm-hmm. And I think people have got to be willing to to invest that time at the beginning and get to know people uh, before they uh, before they begin to judge. Absolutely. Right. That common denominator of, of humanity. I love that, you, you know, starting there. Um, I mean, because pick an issue, there's always something for there to be two sides on. Um, but we can all at least relate to the human experience. We we all we all celebrate, we all grieve. That's we, right. you know, we all experience connection through spirituality with ourselves to a higher power and, and with ourselves to a, a broader community and our people. You know, we, we, we love the same way. And, um, I wish it was easier. I wish we could just go right to the issues and, and just resolve them. You know, I think when conflict resolution, that's often the temptation, you know, <laughs> yeah. dig yeah. into the issue and make sure each side is heard and then everything will be fine. Um, but that's not always the case. And, and starting with that humanity side of things, it feels, it feels safe. It feels welcoming and it works. Uh, I've seen it myself in large scale organizations that, that, that is the path forward. And I love that you're going to be helping others with the how, with your, with your course, it's a missing piece. And again, it's taking that awareness to that next level of now, how do we implement it? Let's let's yeah. take this to action. Yeah, I'm going to do my best. We'll see. <laughs> That's wonderful. Yeah, and so um, who have you worked with so far in terms of bringing um, this book, the the concepts, your your approach? Is it with your with clients now, with teams now? Can you who would see themselves as, oh, that's for me uh, based on who you've been talking to and who you've been working with up to this point? I've had a couple of national associations actually uh, buy the book and have their their leadership teams read the book. And we've conducted author talks. Uh, I've, I've had uh, some organizations, you know, commit their executive team to to doing exercises and things like that. And so that has been very helpful, you know, mm-hmm. as I've been developing the content for the course and things like that. The thing is that there's got to be a commitment, Kristen, and, and this is where it really gets prickly, if you will, because, you know, I say to people all the time, you just, you cannot change hearts and minds. And unfortunately, when an organization makes a commitment and a decision to move forward in this area, it reveals a lot of things about members of their their staff their leadership team, their management team, and things like that. And so, you know, you cannot change hearts and minds, but you can hold people accountable in the workplace mm. for certain types of behavior, right? And and so it it really requires leaders to be able to peel back and, and pay more attention. You know, is everybody on a particular team getting the same level of visibility? Mm-hmm. You know, and is everybody participating in, in projects and presentations and communications and things like that. And if you stop to look, you, you can see, you'll notice whether or not there are any disparities, right? Mm-hmm. But you have to be willing to look and not look the other way. Absolutely. Yeah. And I'm term that we probably all heard this unconscious bias, Yeah. Um, but uh, removing the veil and, and requiring people to look at themselves 
with honesty and vulnerability and say, oh, yeah, maybe we, we don't like what we're seeing here. And deliberate or not, we've been turning a blind eye and we need to do better. But it's not until we actually acknowledge those gaps um, or, you know, outright discrimination in the workplace that we're able to put those steps in place to hold one another accountable, to be accountable, and not just writing the policy, but living up to those policies, right? Diversity and inclusion is is a, a huge topic in the leadership world right now and um, a massive part of corporate social responsibility. Right. But, you know, lifting it off the paper and putting it into action and not just in the big flashy ways, but in the everyday ways. And um, I love in your book, you talk about those very subtle, but you're not crazy. It is happening moments of, you know, you didn't get picked for a project. And, you know, you happen to be uh, from a mi minority group. Oh, maybe it was just this time. Maybe it was just a coincidence N or not, you know, and, and let's call that out. Let's examine it a little bit closer. And um, are we being fair and equal in terms of providing these opportunities and consideration for advancement? Um, and we started the conversation talking about all this effort that we can do as individuals to stand out, to excel to advance ourselves. And yet, if there isn't um, a, an openness to to that advancement within an organization, doesn't it matter. doesn't yeah. matter. Not matter. Yeah, it does not exactly. matter. Yeah. You know, um, and and that that is something that as leaders, there's a great deal of power to shift that and change that. And it's not always the big flashy stuff. Um, and, you know, from my experience, it's also translating it from the leadership table right into the manager's hands where, you know, those day-to-day -day interactions happen between supervisor and employee and, and, and judgments are made and opportunities are either allowed or denied. Yeah. So, uh, you know, just um, your thoughts on that about translating from leaders to management level decisions, you know, has there been any any visible success for you that you've seen things that work to get leaders to mobilize their 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 people to actually walk the talk well that's where the accountability is so important because people have some very deep long held beliefs about differences between you know people of different cultures and ethnicities and things like that and 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 you can't change that but when a company, a senior leadership team, a CEO is intentional about making sure that the playing field is leveled, then those things, you know, become requirements. And, and what I mean by that is that, you know, it's it's a component of evaluation and 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 of devaluation and it's a component of 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 just overall assessment of a person's performance, right? Mm -hmm. It's it's difficult. People are afraid to have challenging conversations with people about this, right? Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's bottom line driven. That's okay. However we get there, right? We need to uh, make sure our staff and our team is more reflective of our client base. And I think a lot of clients are asking those questions. You know, when when you look on the website or you come in for a meeting and you, and you you know, you see the yearbook pictures and, and everybody looks the same, right? Yeah, yeah. And in the in the boardrooms, you know, all the pictures are exactly the same, except, you know, the names are different. 
And so I think that people, uh, a lot of companies are, are beginning to, to really realize that it's good for business, not just from the standpoint of, I'll say, ticking a box to say, yes, you know, we have, but, but just the, the, the coalition of ideas mm-hmm. and, and perspectives that you get when you have a more diverse management team, leadership team, and overall workforce. Yeah. Well, absolutely. You know, um, groupthink has never resulted in in massive innovation. It's only been through uh, diversity and openness to different perspectives and one another, you know, us challenging one another. Right. You know, that's where we actually see massive shifts, whether it be in technology, in leadership, any industry. It's when we have that uh, it is a bit of tension of, of our yes. differences and leveraging that I think is a, is a, is a very important skill set for leaders. Yeah. Diversity um, tension. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. And it's not a negative thing in any way, but getting more comfortable with that and having those more difficult conversations, I think is, is a, a place for growth. Um, we talk about being, I don't, I'm sorry. We talk about getting comfortable with being uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. All right. And that's really important. I, I encounter many leaders who are just conflict averse Yes, yeah. <laughs> and they want to, you know, create harmony and they want everybody to be okay and all of that. And in so doing, there's still a group of people, you know, who may not be okay. All right. Yes. But, but you've got to be willing to, and, and I think part of that is setting the tone, you know, creating a space uh, and and explicitly saying, you know, I I want to hear differences of opinion. And we we it's it's safe, it's safe to express different points of view. That's mm-hmm. how we learn. That's how we grow. And as you said, is a is a tremendous source uh, for innovative ideas. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, absolutely. And um, it, I think I want to just <laughs> reflect back and make sure that I'm I'm getting this right because it really I felt something when you said it. So I want to return back and and maybe pay it forward to anyone else who needs to to feel it. And, you know, we talked about not changing the hearts of minds of people. And I I think this is where we think we're solving a problem by educating, you know, like more and more education about diversity and inclusion. And, and that's not, you can't, you're not necessarily changing the hearts of minds of people, but it's getting it to that accountability side of things where we have to create a safe space to hold one another accountable and uh, making those expectations clear and consistent and well-known and that they're shared by all. This isn't just, you know, some people have to be held, held accountable to this standard or others get a little bit more, more leeway. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that, that really resonates for me in a time right now when there's a great deal of emphasis on education around diversity and inclusion in the corporate setting. And I'm like, well, that's maybe a start again, back to awareness, but when the rubber hits the road, what are you doing with that education? How has leaders, what are we doing with it? Yeah. Right. Yeah. No, that's so true. And, but, but it's where you get to know people again for the first time. And it's scary. I get it. It's scary Uh, because you learn that there are perhaps people on your senior leadership team or in your management ranks that truly believe that because my skin's a little darker, that I'm not as smart mm-hmm. as my counterparts or that I'm not as capable. Yeah. Doesn't matter how many degrees I have, doesn't matter what experience I have, 
Uh, you know, and I hear countless stories still about, you know, people, you know, work being uh, reviewed by direct reports and, and all these kinds of things. And so it's there, but those are the kinds of things we need to pay attention to and, mm -hmm. and try to break out of. Uh, and and that's a that's a top down commitment. That's mm -hmm. a top down commitment. Doesn't mean that person is is going to change, uh, but it does mean that the expectation is that he, she, or they comply with what the company, what the company's intention is when it comes to inclusion. Absolutely. And you know something, just a a takeaway. Another there were so many, but another takeaway from your book was that even trickling into like social engagements, right? Sometimes we think when we're a leadership team, you know, we're talking about policy, we're talking about performance evaluations, we're talking about, you know, accountability in that front, but even being mindful of, you know, social gatherings that occur in the workplace and, and being aware and sensitive to how we, you know, there may be differences in, in preferences and, and comfort levels and, and and choosing better choices when it comes to bringing people together on a on a corporate team in a social setting it just permeates all all areas of our interactions as as humans not just when i'm wearing my you know my director hat or my ceo hat or my employee hat it it is in the everyday interactions as well that is so true i never could have imagined and i talk about it in the book that that i would uh be faced with dealing with a conversation about slavery at an executive retreat, <laughs> you know? So you, you just don't know where these things are going to show up. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, I, you know, but, but one of the things that I say over and over and over again in the book is speak up, call it out. And I know that that is really scary. I've got a mortgage, I've got kids, I've got a family, I don't want to lose my job. But I think that the only way that we begin to really move the needle on this, both professionally and as you said, spilling over into society is death by a thousand cuts, right? We cannot miss an opportunity to address these things yeah. because silence sends the wrong message. Yeah. When, when you don't address it, you, you're basically saying, oh, it's okay. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Know? Yeah. Yeah. Very true. Wow, that's so many insights. And, um, you know, I just, I strongly encourage all of our listeners to pick up the book and, and read through it on their own. It was, um, it was a very engaging, beautiful read. Uh, I had so many personal takeaways just for me and in, and being more aware, but also it's given me some language to use when I'm working with, with corporate teams and I, I think I've come away with with more empathy, more understanding, and uh, more self-awareness as well. And I think as leaders, each and every one of us need to be working on that on a daily basis. We're never going to be a hundred percent. We're you know <laughs> it's it's a journey. We're going to be growing and learning as we go, but um making sure that we're feeding our our heads, hearts, and souls with stories that are impactful and ways to translate that learning into action, I think is so important. And you've given us a gift here with your book. So I strongly encourage all of our listeners to, to dive into to this one themselves. Thank you so much. That means quite a bit to me. That means a lot. I appreciate it. Wonderful. Well, and I have a, a sneaking suspicion that, you know, you may have people that want to talk to you a little bit more about this and about your course that you're going to be offering in the future. And 
And so um, uh, we'll, we'll be including your contact details as well in our show notes where people can learn more about you and, and your uh, consulting business and upcoming offerings that you have too. So I'm assuming you're open to that invitation also. I welcome it. Yes. Thank yeah. you so much. Absolutely. Yes. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Brenda. And I know we could we could continue this conversation in, in so many different angles. And I'd love the opportunity to do that with you if, if you're game to come back. So thank you again for your time today. My pleasure. I would love to come back. Absolutely. We have a lot. It sounds like we have a lot more to discuss and unpack. So absolutely. Let me know. Great. Absolutely. All right, friends. Well, thanks again for tuning in to another episode of the One Program Podcast. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed this conversation as much as we have. And I wish you all the best today. Remember to do something uh, for yourself and someone else today. Bye for now.